it is good uh, to be able to be here. Um, next two Sundays, we will be uh, out of the country uh, and uh, certainly um, would want you to pray for our families as we are away and as you have. And thank you, Adam, for uh, praying for us and leading us in prayer. Um, we look forward to our time there. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn uh, to the 103rd Psalm, Psalm 103, and I know we're in Exodus, uh, but if you would turn to Psalm 103. The work of redemption uh, and the deliverance that we have seen uh, as it is shown to us in Exodus are one and the same work. And it's kind of a threefold work, okay? Uh, we have Israel's deliverance uh, out of Egypt. And we have understood even as last week as we began to look at the book of the covenant that was given, uh, Israel was led out of, delivered out of Egypt, uh, but there was still a need. God had called them his people, but they needed to understand what being his people looked like. That was the purpose of the law. That was uh, the reason for uh, the book of the covenant. Uh, similar to the work that we have in our lives as God does his redeeming work uh, throughout the course of redemptive history in that uh, he calls us out of the bondage of sin and, and calls us to, uh, to be free to follow him. Uh, but we need to know how. We need to know what that looks like. Uh, and that is part of the way of what takes place here in the course of our life as a church and the way local bodies assemble is that we assemble together to help each other understand God's Word, to teach God's Word, uh, then to walk alongside each other uh, as family members to encourage each other. Uh, we are constantly uh, talking about how we want to relate to each other so that we can know how to and be helped along the way uh, in being God's people. And then there is Israel's being carried into the promised land. And they're not there yet. We're not there yet in the text. We won't be there when we get to the end of Exodus. Uh, we won't find that until you get to Deuteronomy. But God didn't just in one fell swoop take them out of Egypt and carry them immediately to the promised land in the same way that he doesn't call us out of the bondage of sin and then in one fell swoop, at least for most people, in one fell swoop take us and place us uh, in heaven. Uh, there is this, there's this land that we live in, this world that we live in, uh, where... Uh, we are demonstrating uh, what it means to be the people of God. People need to see that. The world needs to see it. In fact, when God called Israel out, he said, you're going to be my people, and it's going to be through you in the way that you live uh, that will show others who I am and will show others what it means to follow God and to demonstrate faith and to live uh, as the people of God. And that is where we find ourselves, for those of us who are believers, we're living as aliens, so to speak, ambassadors uh, in a country that is not ours, 
but we are here living in such a way uh, that we are to reflect God and we are to show others what it means to be the people of God. But we don't do that without struggles. We do not do that without hardship. We don't do that without sin. And we don't do it without temptation. Let's look at the 103rd Psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all of our iniquity, who heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works and all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You don't have to spend much time in that psalm until you realize that we live with struggles and hardship and a constant bombardment on our souls and our lives to sin. And it is those who fear the Lord and keep His covenant that He extends His steadfast love to and that He holds them and He keeps them. But what happens in the midst of our struggles when we don't? When we don't fear God? What happens in the midst of our struggles when we fail, when we sin, when we fall? What happens? That's a reasonable question, isn't it? What happens to us? What does God do, and what do we do? If you will, we want to try to find out the answer to that question, but I want to draw your attention back to verse 14 there. He knows our frame, and He remembers that we are but dust. Turn to Exodus chapter 24. 
Now, you may wonder if you paid attention to our worship guide that we are in chapter 24 and then we are in chapters 32 through 34. And you may wonder why the, why the big break there. That, it seems kind of strange. Well, what we want to deal with, we want to deal with the covenant that is, that is struck, uh, the basis of which was found in the book of the covenant. We want to see the covenant. And then we're going to look and find that the covenant wasn't kept. In other words, uh, Israel was but dust and God knew their frame. We find that uh, it wasn't, uh, I mean, the, 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 hardly the, the finger of God. In fact, he hadn't even had just finished giving the law, had spoken to them. And in just a matter of a few hours, uh, we find uh, in a few days that they had failed and they had sinned and they had broken the covenant. In fact, 40 days later, that's where they were. Uh, they had turned their back on God and abandoned God. And then God comes back and He brings in and sends someone in to intercede for them. And we're going to look at that. And then we want to see that the covenant was renewed. Why? Because Israel is working through trying to learn to be faithful people, trying to learn what it is to trust, trying to learn what it is to obey, the very same things that we are doing. And that is the reason that we see what we see uh, here in Exodus. Look at chapter 24. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Verse 1. And then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. And Moses came, and he told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. Now remember, they have heard audibly from God. The people have, not just Moses. They have heard God give the Ten Commandments and they have heard these things being given to them and they've heard the voice of God and we looked and we saw last week that it was so terrifying to them that they said, Moses, you come and talk with us because they had trembled and feared there in the presence of God. And Moses comes back and he reminds them of the things that God has said. And then Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of the oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and he put it in its basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant that had just had been given by God and had just been read and in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and will be obedient. Now, we've already heard this three times. We heard it before the covenant, just kind of the introduction of the covenant. They said, whatever it is that God says, we'll do. We'll keep it. 
then they hear the voice of God, and they say, whatever he's, what he has said, we will do. And then Moses rereads back to them. In other words, reads back to them what God has already said, and then they say the third time, we will do what God has said. Over and over again in our lives, we hear God speak to us through His Word. It may be in a setting like this. It may be uh, in our devotion time. Uh, it can be uh, at, at night when we're reading God's Word before we uh, retire, whenever it is. But God speaks to our hearts. And we are reminded of our sin, and then we point back and say, God, I will do Your Word. I'll do Your Word. And then it doesn't seem like it's too long before we have broken His Word Again, but here we say repeatedly, we will do what you say do. And we must make that commitment. And there is that commitment that is being made here on the part of Israel. And notice that all the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. And said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. And that blood sealed that covenant. And God had promised what He would do, and they have committed to follow God. Then notice what happens in verse 9. And then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel, now they go up. They're allowed to go up. And they saw the God of Israel once the covenant was officially struck and that blood was sprinkled on the people then these representatives were able to come up into the presence of God come where they had not been able to go before no one but Moses and look at what they saw and there was under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and there they ate and they drank, and as we read, and they worshiped. Look in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you, and behold, Aaron and Hur are here with you. Whoever has a dispute, uh, let him go to them. And then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, if you will, turn to chapter 32. I point us here because we have a covenant that God has established. That covenant has been sealed by the blood of the sacrifices that were offered to God. 
the blood was thrown on the altar and thrown on the people. And the covenant has been sealed. And 40 days pass. And in verse 1 of chapter 32, here's what we hear. And the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. And the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are our gods. These are the gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And then when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day. And they offered burnt offerings, and they brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. What happened in 40 days? What happened in 40 days? Israel's faith had faltered. The commitment that they had made to God, they set aside, they sinned. God knew that they were but dust, and they're weak. What's the point? Since there's an ongoing need, and we are being pressed to see this, not only for Israel but for us, there is an ongoing need for the work of God's grace and His mercy in our lives. It's an ongoing thing. We are constantly being bombarded in our lives with things that come that would cause us to doubt God and cause us to fail in our commitment. We know that. For those of us who have trusted Christ, we have walked those days. Our lives have not been days where we have lived out in perfection those things which God has called us to do. Reminded of this, and ladies, you'll be reminded of this in studying 1 John. That is why he says, if you are faithful and just, if you are faithful to confess your sin, that He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know why? Because you can't say that you don't sin, and we can't come here today and say that we don't sin. We can't even say that we don't have sin, and we may be struggling with sin even today and a lack of faith today, and doubt today, and if not at this moment, then certainly before you close your eyes tonight, you will fail the law of God, the very thing that He has shown us to show us and to teach us what it means to be His people. I'm reminded here of their strong commitment to unfaithfulness. Look here in verse 6 again. Just look at this sequence of verbs. They rose up early. Okay? They rose up early the next day. And what did they do? They 
offered burnt offerings. They began to make sacrifices and brought peace offerings. The very things that God was going to give them to do in worship of Him, now they are doing these very same things before they have even received God's instruction. They're doing these very same things to a manufactured God, an idol, someone, something to represent who they thought God might be. I wonder today, just, and I've tried to think through, Adam spoke about idleness um, Friday night, and I thought it was good that you made the distinction between I-D-L-E and I-D-O-L. Today we are talking about not I-D-L-E, but the I-D-O-L, the idols of our lives. Israel has seen the, the, the work and majesty and power of God in ways that no one else had ever seen. And yet within a 40-day period, they are now doubting God. They are looking for another God. They're trying to form and fashion God in a way that they are comfortable with worshiping a way that they are trying to find some kind of identification with God. They need His presence, they want His presence, but they are not certain of His presence. And they're trying to bring a God into their lives and into their presence. And then notice what happens in verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down. Go down. I want you to think about that for just a minute. What's getting ready to happen here is a picture of what God in the Godhead has done with Christ. Who comes down to us? It's Christ. Christ is the one who descended and came here and condescended and came to be an intermediary, someone to represent us, to be our representative. And notice what the Lord is saying to Moses. God knows everything that has taken place down, on, down at, the, at the base of the mountain. Moses does not know. And now he is informing Moses. He says, go down for your people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Now, now God's not telling Moses that they are not my people. He is just saying at this point in time, your people, the people that you represent are not following me. They have sinned against me. They have corrupted themselves. And notice that they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. And they have made for themselves a golden calf. And then God is just, just restating it. They worshipped it. They sacrificed to it. And they said, these are our gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. What was God saying? People that were not going to submit to him. Do you think this caught God off guard? Not in the least. God knew what he had bargained for when he called them out in the same way that he knows what he has bargained for when he has called you and me. Does it justify our sin? 
But just to know that when we read here in just a little bit about who God is, as we read about it in Psalm 103, God is who He is and operates and deals with us accordingly because He knows who we are. He knows we are but dust. He knows that He has called us out to live in this time and in this season to represent Him. He knows that comes with struggles. And He knows that we're going to struggle. And it doesn't justify our sin. What it does do is demonstrate to us that God does care about us and He is a God of compassion and He does forgive and that if we are faithful to confess our sin, that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Look in verse 9. A stiff-necked people, those who refuse to submit to uh, my leadership, those who refuse to submit to my yoke, now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. When you read that, it almost sounds like that God is telling Moses, Moses, that don't, don't interrupt me here. Here's what I'm getting ready to do. But if we understand the tone of this text, we come to understand that what he is doing is helping him understand that he is to intercede for his people. And he's calling, he's sending him down to intercede for the people. Moses serves as a, as a type of Christ here. He's coming to represent the people. God has said, these are your people. And he is calling him to go down and to represent them and to intercede for them. And then he does. Notice what Moses says, he says, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? He said, Turn your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Uh, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all of the land that I promised, and I will give your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Some of you may not be aware of some of the language that's used in Scripture. God's not repenting. He's not turning away from something that was wrong. But there were conditions that were established in the course of this covenant. And God rightfully should have, could have, and does in fact, we come back, does come back and judge and punish the people for their disobedience. What we are hearing is that God is calling Moses to come and to intercede on behalf of the people. And then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on front and on back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God. And the writing was a writing of God engraved on the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, Joshua is, is oblivious to what's going on, uh, he shouted and said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. 
But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and he made the people of Israel drink it. Can you imagine? He's taking the very God, the very idol that they made, and he dilutes it, puts it in the water, and he's, it's almost as if to say, you want this God, have it, drink it, drink it. And they do. And then Moses said to Aaron, what did the people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and whoosh, out came a calf. It's humorous when we read it. But it's a demonstration of the foolishness of man in his sin and a lack of standing accountable for what he's done. Because remember what Moses had already told Aaron and her? He said, I am leaving. You're in charge. If there's a dispute among the people, you judge, you deal with, you lead them, you take care of them in my absence. In verse 25, and when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, meaning had just run wild, for Aaron had let them run wild and break loose like a wild animal to the derision of their enemies. And then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on each of your side, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. Each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And what he's calling on him for, he said, You go and you find the ones who are, uh, are adamantly opposed to God. They, they, Israel had been complicit. All of the people had been complicit in this. Aaron had even uh, just, uh, just kind of acquiesced, gone along with it, and helped facilitate it. Moses is sending these men who are saying, this was wrong, we should never have done this. He's sending them out to find those who were the leaders of this. And when they go out, they kill them. And notice what he says here. And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. There is in being the people of God a responsibility that we have for each other. 
I want you to hear that again. There is in us being the people of God where we have a responsibility for each other. And that is to protect the body of Christ. To stand opposed uh, to sin. Uh, to fight against sin. Uh, to show our brothers and sisters their sin. To walk alongside of them and encourage them. But we also recognize that there comes times that we have to make hard stands and draw hard lines. And this was a place where there was a hard line drawn. Why? Because the people, while they had failed and sinned, they had not entirely lost sight of the holiness of God and by His grace recognized that they were wrong and in sin. And they had to take a stand against it to protect their community and to protect their people. This is huge. Notice what happens. Verse 30, the next day Moses said to the people, you've sinned a great sin, and now I go up to the Lord, perhaps I can make atonement for you. Remember, he had interceded for him. Now he knows that he will go back before God and he will plea, make a plea for them for their lives. Christ Jesus made a plea for our lives. That plea was made for us on the cross where He bore the wrath of God. He bore the judgment of God. He bore the separation from God. We'll see in just a minute that that's exactly what Moses offers to do. He says, strike my name from the book. Save them. Christ came, bore the wrath of God in separation for us, and represented us there, those who would believe and trust in Him. Verse 31, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, his people has sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you, Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. Chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, so that the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob say, to your offspring I'll give it. I'll send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. And I want you to hear these devastating words. But I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on their ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. And therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of the ornaments from Mount Orb 
own. What is it like for God to leave His people? What is it like for God to leave His people? Will God leave His people? Does God leave His people? We hear that Jesus says that He will never leave or forsake. What God tells them is says you can go on and you can have what I have established for you to have in this land flowing with milk and honey, but you won't have me. And yet I'm reminded that even this past Friday night, Adam pointed to the men who were present there that the greatest treasure is Christ. Do you want life, a good life, but not have God? Or do you want God and whatever comes in the way of hardship and struggle and even whatever heaven may be or may not be, but do you want God more than you want anything? And what the people came to, to, to have to confront with themselves is that the presence of God is more precious, that the presence of God is priceless, that the presence of God is more important, more important than anything else that they could ever have. How do we know this? We'll turn over to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, now listen what he asks. Please, please be with me. Please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider also that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and your people? Is it not in your going out with us so that we are distinct and I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Did you get that? Don't send us. If you don't go with us, don't send us. Please give me your presence. Please give the people your presence. Why? Because it is your presence alone that makes us distinct. It's the reason why we looked at Galatians today. We are not justified. We are not able to be brought into the presence of God. We cannot be in the presence of God in our keeping of the law because we can't keep the law. Why? Because we are but dust. We're weak. We fail. We sin. And that's not a justification for our sin. We should be longing to walk in obedience. We should be longing to walk in obedience because it is when we are walking in obedience that we understand that we are most close to God, not for the law's sake, but for righteousness' sake. 
Not for the law's sake, but because we want to please the heart of God. Why? Because we're to love Him. And that is exactly what Moses said. He said Moses says, don't send us if you aren't going to go. What makes us distinct is you. Let me ask you today. Is your relationship with God what makes you distinct? Is He at work in you and in your heart and in your life in such a way causing you to desire holiness and righteousness? Stirring up within you a love for others. Stirring up within you a heart for His gospel and His good news. Stirring up a heart for you to stand opposed to sin in your life and in the lives of others. Stirring up within you a heart to care for people, genuinely care for people in their souls. It's His presence that makes us to sing. His presence. And Moses said, if, you, if you're not going to go, I, we don't want to go. Don't, don't send us. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. Notice that he's interceding for the people. He's prayed for the people. He's already told the people, I'm going to seek to go and to make atonement. In other words, I'm going I'm to seek to work with God in such a way, do something to plead for your life and for our lives. And he identifies with them because he said, if you're going to block their names out, block my name out. This very thing, God said, I have spoken, I will do for you because you have found, I, you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And Moses said then, please show me your glory. Now I want you to skip down to 34. And God comes to him. The Lord said to Moses, verse 1 of chapter 34, Cut for yourselves two tablets of stone like the first, and I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. And no one shall come up with you let no one be seen throughout all of the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Sinai. And the Lord, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. I want you to hear what he said. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children on the third and the fourth generation. Let's rehearse those attributes of God. He's gracious. Extending grace to those who are in sin. Extending grace to those whom He has called. Extending grace to the elect. 
merciful, seeking the best and the highest at all costs, slow to anger. In Hebrew, that means long of nose, long of nose, uh, kind of a, an, an idiom that is used. But it, it means that God is slow to anger. What does that mean? It means He's patient with us toward our sanctification. Abounding in steadfast love. I want you to know this abounding in steadfast love is a love that He has for His people. A love that He has for the elect. The love that He has for those who fear Him as we read earlier in Psalm 103. There is a love that He has for everyone. This is a steadfast, saving love. And we see that and recognize it in this context that He is talking about love towards saving His people. And He abounds in faithfulness. He abounds in faithfulness. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. We need the grace and mercy and steadfast love of God. And He is gracious and He is merciful and He is steadfast in His love for us and He is faithful. The point of this text is to help us see and to know that as we live in this time, as we live in this time, we will not and do not live apart from struggles. Things that tempt us, we don't live apart from sin. But God is gracious and merciful and faithful and His love abounds in our lives for those who trust Him and who follow Him. Why is that important? Well, if that doesn't take place, then there is no salvation. If that doesn't occur on the part of God, if God is not faithful, if God is not steadfast in His love, if He is not gracious and He is not merciful, and it depends upon us keeping a law after the fact, then we are damned and doomed. But for those who trust Christ, you're not. You're not. You're not damned and you're not doomed. But you're saved because of the work of Christ and Him bearing the wrath you deserve and then pouring out on you the holiness that you need and the righteousness to be able to stand in the presence of God, our greatest treasure, 
Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful today that you have have been so gracious toward us in Christ. Every one of us in here are in need of you. We need you for salvation. We ask, Father, today that you would call those to salvation who have not trusted you yet. That you would grant continued grace to us who have trusted you and are living in this time of struggle and hardship and sin, trying to reflect your glory, sometimes being successful, oftentimes failing. We need your grace to forgive us. We need your grace and your strength and your power to sustain us. We need your word, God, as we sang earlier today, to just be poured out upon us. We need your word to guide us and to instruct us. We need to make it to heaven. We need to make it to be with you. We need it to persevere through these days. God, would you continue to grant us that grace and to help us to see our need for it and to help us, Father, to honestly and earnestly get before you and cry out to you, being reminded of our own weakness Father, destroy the pride that is in us that would cause us to to not do that. Turn us from the things, Lord, that are are wrong and, and sinful in our lives. And help us, Father, as we seek to follow you and walk in righteousness so that we can enjoy your sweet presence. Father, do your work here today in Christ's name. Amen.